let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we pray to you tonight, Father, and we, we say we love you. We love you for um, just for all you've done and for all you are. And we want to, um, tonight, Lord Jesus, we long to, to meet with you afresh as we read your word, as we sing songs of praise to you, Father. Uh, we just long to meet with you. So, Father, we just pray and uh, surrender our hearts to you now and give you our hearts, Lord Jesus. Oh, Father, just have our hearts. Surrender every, every part of ourselves, Lord. The parts we haven't surrendered, Lord, we just say, take it, take it, please. And be glorified uh, in us and glorified in your people. <coughs> Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to be here as a people, uh, worshipping our, our amazing God. It's a great privilege um, to be here tonight uh, because it's all because of God's grace. It's nothing. It's absolutely nothing that we have done. We just received this great offer of forgiveness and we're here to worship God and to be encouraged uh, to live more for him. It's a, it's a good thing to be here. Um, if you're a, a regular here, gee, it's good to see you. Gee, you're a good looking bunch. And uh, if you're a newcomer, you'd be lucky if you were as good looking as we are, but I'm sure you are as well. We've got some great people here. We've got some visitors, I'm sure, might be here on holidays, and we welcome you especially. And also the family and friends of, uh, of young Sarah Boyle, who is going to be uh, dedicated tonight. And uh, Amy, it's great. Uh, we're going to do this in a little while to have you bring Sarah up. So welcome, especially to the family and friends of, of Sarah. Um, well, I've been away um, for the last... Week and it could sound a bit suspicious because I've been at the Gold Coast. Have I got a tan? <laughs> no, I'm just burnt anyway. But I was at a youth ministry conference, so the whole week um, it's called the National Youth Ministry Conference, and I was on the Gold Coast. And these speakers from you know uh, from America and the great speakers uh, from Australia gathering um, youth ministers together to just encourage them in uh, in serving and uh, kind of building up the youth. Um, into knowledge of, of uh, Jesus Christ and to live for him. And there was so much encouragement. I just want to share a couple. There was so many. One of the uh, great challenges was the call, and not just for youth, um, people involved with youth work, but just for Christians in general. But it was this challenge to get really active in the kingdom of God. Uh, and so this, these, it seemed like message after message came out about just the kingdom of God, people. It's not like we become Christians and then go, sweet, I've got 50 years of whatever, and then I die and get to be there. But actually, the kingdom of God, let's become a, a part of it now. To actually love people into the kingdom. Let's like love people so much that we want to share our faith with them. But let's love people so much that we want the kingdom to come in the level of uh, to see injustice kind of taken away. If you see people in, uh, oppressed by poverty or in need, that we as believers would be so stirred to kind of move into action and to love these people. And it was this great thing, the kingdom of God. It was like, you know, the, the Lord's Prayer, what Je how Jesus taught us to pray when he said, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So not just let's kick back and wait till we get there up in the sky or whatever it is, but actually that we'd see the kingdom come now and the way we love people into the kingdom. And it was this brilliant challenge of action. But the one thing that really got me the most was the challenge for stillness, was a challenge, if you like, for inaction. And that was like, uh, you know, as a, as a people, we're good, we're good at, we're so practical, let's go, tell me what to do, I'll go and do it. And this was like, don't forget your first love. Don't forget that you need to come and be still before God and, and actually wait on God and, and sort of be there and, and seek to meet with God. And to be in his presence and to know his love. It's kind of wait on you, God. And it was like the challenge was just go there, seek God, seek to be close to God and be in his presence and know his love and may that compel you, may that sort of stir you for the action in the kingdom of God building process. It was, it was brilliant. It really was brilliant. Don't lose a first love. That's a, a good challenge for all of us. That's a little mini sermon, really, isn't it? It's not the sermon. Um, Chris Little tonight um, from Albury Bible Fellowship, he's going to be uh, 
preaching to us, preaching from God's word to us, and we look forward to that, mate. And um, we just uh, love the last time he came here, and he really encouraged us as he preached uh, from God's word. So we'll, we'll wait for that, Chris, in a little while. Um, but there's a couple of other announcements. The first thing, 119 point winter Geelong. <laughs> I don't even go for Geelong, but I tell you what, the Victorians, how good are we? <laughs> Do you know if Melbourne Storm wins, that's the rugby ARL Cup in Melbourne, Victoria, and then the Aussie Rules are in Melbourne, Victoria. And I heard that the Soccer League, uh, Melbourne Victory, they won. That's in Victoria as well. How good is it? You don't care, do you? Anyway, Anyway, if you guys are from New South Wales tonight, we love you as well. Um, There's a couple of things. Uh, The men's annual dinner is coming up this Friday. Now, if you've got your bulletin, on the front, it's got like, don't forget, Friday, 7 p.m., keynote speaker Jim Wallace. Gee, he's a good speaker. He's going to be a great encouragement. I said last week, it's a men's deal. None of it's kind of like, ah, oh, touchy-feely, kind of girly stuff. It's for men, you know. So men are going to become and be encouraged. But I think there's only limited places left. Um, so if, you want to, uh, if you're interested, and please, if you're not going yet, get along to it. Kurt Peel, where are you, man? He's waving a hand, man. And um, if you're interested, go and see him. If you also want to go but you think financially I can't, or you know someone who wants to go but they can't afford the, the money aspect, there's a few, there's some, some people, generous people who have offered to pay for a few people to go. So don't let money be a hindrance. It's going to be a great encouragement. Also, our church rosters for the evening service, if you're involved in welcoming or the supper or on the communion roster, then please uh, pick up your roster at the back of the church. And I just want to say thank you for getting involved and thanks for taking ownership as well. Every person who's on that team, it's just awesome. I mean, it's awesome to see everyone kind of playing their part. And, and I reckon the more of us doing that, the more of us um, in this congregation just owning it and taking hold of it and supporting it and investing into each other through whatever way possible, I think that's brilliant. So let's keep it going. Let's continue to own this, our service. Uh, and then I think that's just about it. Very good, Phil. that will be enough. Right. Um, we're about to have the dedication of... Uh, the, uh, the young Sarah over here, but before we get into that, let's, let's uh, pray for the continuation of this service. Let's pray. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we do love you. And Father God, we just pray that um, as we continue to go through the service, Lord, that you would break our hearts with the things that break yours. Lord Jesus, that if we're hardened tonight and our minds are kind of resisting you or our hearts are, are kind of not wanting to, to kind of go deeper or learn more, for whatever reason, Lord, we just ask that you would Soften our hearts and soften our minds, Lord. Father God, that we'd be a people who, who not only hear your word, but we'd be people who do your word as well and live for the praise of your name. And Father, we praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, young Sarah and older Amy, let's welcome them to the place here. And some more. Yeah, that'd be great. No. Welcome. Hi. How are you? Very good. Hello. She's very cute. Um, this, is a, this is a great time, isn't it? Uh, as we kind of uh, welcome and uh, dedicate young Sarah here to the Lord. And there's a, this is really good because um, in doing this, um, Amy has recognised that Sarah is, is your child, but she's not just your child, that she actually belongs to to God as well. And uh, you know that uh, as a result, there's some responsibilities. So um, Amy's been thinking that she now recognises that she, um, young Sarah here, belongs to God. And as her parent, you have responsibilities before God. Um, you might just come over here because I've got a few notes. Here's my first time and hopefully I'm not going <laughs> to drop this little one here. I won't. Um, I have a son of my own. I've only dropped him a couple of times, so it's all good. Um, but we have a dedication, and there's really four main components to the dedication. And uh, the first one is that we're going to really we're going to thank God. We're going to thank God for the for for this one here, for her birth, and just the the privilege that she is to be uh, to, for us to have her in our lives. And then after thanking God for that, we're going to um, Amy's going to dedicate herself. She's going to dedicate herself, make a, that commitment to to growing and encouraging. Uh, Sarah in living for Jesus to the point at some point where it's not an ice cream where Sarah can make the decision for herself to follow Jesus that's the second part and the third part is that we as a church 
we as, as a church family are going to commit. We're going to commit to encouraging Sarah as well. And we're going to seek to encourage and support and nurture her so that one day she'll be able to give her life to following Jesus. And the last one we're going to do, we're going to, we're going to pray a blessing. I'm going to ask that God really blesses Sarah. So when we, when we look at God's word, God's word just says some great stuff about kids. And um, we read that in Mark chapter 10 that uh, when uh, Jesus, so many people were following him around, um, lots of crowds. And then this is what happens amidst this uh, kind of procession of people. It says people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And he took the children in his own arms, put his hands on them, and he blessed them. It's a, it's a great model. Well, let's, um, let's start by really praising God. Let's thank God for this um, lovely girl. Let's pray. Our Father God, we want to thank you so much. We praise you that you're the creator of everything, that you give us life and breath and each new day, and you are our Father. We just want to uh, thank, thank you right now for the joy that, that we have um, because of your gift of Sarah, because she's been born. And what an incredible miracle it is to see this precious gift of new life that you've given us. Thanks for all the good things, Lord Jesus. Uh, you have given and will give to us through her. And thanks for the incredible potential of Sarah, for the, for the baby girl that she is and the unlived days that lie before her. We thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for the love that she kindles up within ourselves. Thanks, God, you are great. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you uh, some questions. <laughs> I thought she was generally quite, you know, chilled, but she's she uh, got the, lots of the mic. energy. She's probably made for the stage. All right. Okay, I'm going to ask you some questions, Amy, and uh, if you just want to, you know, respond as yep. you will. Yep. Um, <laughs> we should speed this up, Amy. <laughs> Uh, do, you, do you thank God um, for his gift of Sarah? Uh, and do you accept the joys and the duties of being her mum and uh, promising to love and care her? Do you do that? I do. That's great. Um, here's another one. Do you promise to bring Sarah up in the Christian faith and to talk with her about your love of Jesus and what it means to be a follower of Jesus? I do. That's great. I should have this on, shouldn't I? He's on. Right. <laughs> now let me just uh, grab this one and see how I go. Sure. All right, on that. <laughs> Hello, chicken. Whoa, it's over there now. <laughs> okay. okay, Sarah. Look out there. It's very bright. And we as a church welcome you. And we welcome you into this community. Let's put you over there. Well, it could be too close. Is that... Appropriate, she's not flashing too much. Yeah. Okay. Now, I'm going to ask everyone here a question, and you can respond uh, with, we do, if you, if you do. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like doing the Lion King, like holding her up there. Okay, okay if you do. Do you promise to offer Sarah um, encouragement and support and nurture uh, as being part of this community to help her, to encourage her to grow more and more towards uh, putting her faith in Jesus Christ? We do. we do, that's great. All right. <laughs> Let's stand. Let's stand together and pray for Sarah. I'm going to pray for, for Sarah's future. Uh, Lord Jesus, we pray for Sarah, and we pray that you would really bless her future. The Father God, would you help her grow more and more to know you, Lord Jesus? Would you just... Um, be with her, giving her protection and guidance, Lord God. May your spirit um, draw her to yourself, Father God, as she grows in body, mind and spirit. May she come to know you as Lord and Saviour. May she come to be a fully devoted follower of you, Lord Jesus. May she never know a time that she doesn't know you. Oh, Father God, we just pray that you would take her as your own. 
Oh, yes, we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, what have you named this lovely one? Sarah Joy Boyle. Sarah Joy Boyle. I'll pray a little blessing. The other one was the blessing. Who's another one? A bit more traditional, this one. She's got a lovely head. She wants to go. Okay. Nice. Oh no. There's none again. <laughs> Alright. Okay. Sarah Joy Boyle. May the God uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the presence of God. Amen. Here she is. How good is that? (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) Now, we also, we have a a certificate here to mark this time. I didn't drop Sarah at all. You didn't. You should get a certificate. Yeah. It's very much. Thanks very much. Let's go around of applause. Oh, good day, everyone. How you doing? That's good. That's good. Um, I'm here to announce that uh, tonight's talk is a bit like the trains I used to catch in Sydney when I lived there. Um, it's going to be late and out of timetable order. That's what they used to say all the time. Uh, we're not continuing, I'm not continuing your series on 1 Corinthians, I'm doing a topical, a one-off talk tonight. Uh, it's, the question I'm thinking about is, how does the church relate to the world? I want to take it out of the theoretical, how does Wodonga Baptist Church relate to the world around us here? What should you be doing? How should you relate? What principles are important? What are some of the, the concerns? Uh, and what are we going to do when we leave here tonight, when we go to work or school or whatever it is tomorrow? Uh, It's an important topic, isn't it? There are a few passages which I'll refer to along the way, but one I'll probably spend most time in, we'll we'll read that first, from uh, from 1 Timothy chapter 2. So if you've got a Bible there, why don't you grab 1 Timothy 2, we'll just read the first seven verses of that chapter. And any other references during the way, I hope hope to tell you. I'll know what they are, but um, that may not help you. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I hear Russell's still in the building, so that's good. I'll just wait till you found the passage. It's always good we're on the same page. 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words from the Apostle Paul and thank you for the whole scripture you've given us to speak about you and your greatness, to speak about your son and his salvation and to assure us that you are at work in us by your spirit. And we pray that you will be at work in us by your spirit tonight. Change us by your word that we may serve you in this world. We know we need your help for that, so we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now here's your assignment. It has to be a a thinking assignment for you, but you might want to practice this one when you get home tomorrow uh, or tonight. Here's your assignment. Use paper mache, as much paper mache as you like, to illustrate the relationship between the world and the church. You, know, you can get your hands messy, get out all the, the paints that you might uh, have stored away that the kids really use. Make something. You can make a huge construction if you like. I don't mind if there's chicken wire in there, but you've got to use paper mache to illustrate the relationship between the world and the church. What sort of things could you do? Here are a few ideas I came up with. You might, you might build a big big hill, like a mountaintop sort of thing, and you paint it so it's getting higher and higher and higher and colder and there's snow at the top. And on the top of that hill, you could build what represents the church. You could build a little city. And so the church is like a city on a hill. Everybody on the plains, everybody in the rest of the world can see 
what the church is like, can see them up there, that they're different. You know, the church is up here, the world is down here. That's one view that people have of the church. The church is exalted and high and a long way away, and it's nice to be able to see it in the distance. And even perhaps features in postcards. That could be one view of the church. I don't know if it's yours. Another idea I came up with is one for people who uh, are perhaps Christians who are scared by the world and worried by the world and uh, by the degeneracy of the world around about us. You might build, if you're one of those people, you might build sort of another hillside, but this time with a cave in it, a den that you could hide in. And the church is that cave, that den. You you, You come here on a Sunday night and you get into your cave and you're safe. All the attacks from the world, are, they're gone. You can't see them. You can turn your back on the entrance and you feel at home. You feel safe. You feel like you don't have to go out there and do battle like you, you feel like you're doing every day in your workplace or your family or whatever it is. For some of you, the relation between church and world might be that you, the church is your secure place, like blokes in their sheds, you know, that kind of thing. Or another model you might want to make, um, this is for people like me who are not creative at all because it's pretty flat, you don't have to do much construction. You build a big flat surface, flattish, and paint it blue. And you know what that means when you paint a flat surface blue, don't you? That's the ocean. Very good. That's very good. And you can make a little lifeboat and put that in the ocean. And that's what the church is. The church is just sort of sailing around in the middle of the ocean. Sometimes it's stormy. Sometimes it's flat. And, and the people in the boat are trying not to fall out, but also trying to grab people out of the, out of the uh, ocean trying to save them from the, st- the sea, which is so dangerous. That might be your view of the church. We just sort of travel around and snatch people out as, as much as we can. We don't change anything. We don't make much impact. You know, the, the wake of the boat disappears after a few waves go past. Maybe that's how you view the church and the world. Or another one, you might think of building a, something more elaborate, a courtroom with, uh, with the world on trial. The world being charged with doing wrong things before God and the church is there perhaps acting for the prosecutor perhaps as judge who knows but the church is there saying the world is this bad and the world is doing that wrong and the world is guilty in these ways and each of these models and many more like them they probably have some aspect of truth to them something that does come from God's word that's right I don't know which one of those most appealed to you or if you instantly thought of a model which is different But whatever analogy you use for the relation between world and church, there are some things we can't give up. And in fact, the first thing we can't give up is our central message, and that's in that passage from 1 Timothy chapter 2. The central message is that Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus is the only one who can bring us into God's family. Jesus is the heart of the church. What makes the church church? It's certainly not buildings. It's not organisation, it's not having a roster. It's not even you and me being here. We could be gathering here and doing all sorts of things. I'm sure you could put the, the rugby league on the screen up there and just give me some updates. I've been following rugby league most of my life, so if anyone's got hand signals to show me the score, I'd be very appreciative of seeing that. But what I'm trying to say is us being here doesn't make it church. It's Christ being with us that makes this church. And verse 5 of 1 Timothy 2, reminds us about the centrality of Jesus. There is only one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There's one man. There's one man who makes the church the church. There's one man who makes uh, the church God's family, and that's Jesus. He's unique. He alone is the saviour. So if we abandon Christ, we're no longer a church. We might have a good time... We'd certainly continue to have good music. We'd probably have supper. I'm sure that's on tonight. But we wouldn't be a church if Christ wasn't at the heart of who we are today. So I've got a couple of principles about sticking with this one man, Jesus, that we, that we stay the church that is God's church, that is the church of Christ. And principle number one is this. It's pretty simple, really. Keep away from the world. The church should keep away from the world. They, they don't mix. They're not half and half. The church doesn't have fuzzy edges as though it merges great gently into the world and you can't tell where, where it starts and stops. That's in God's point of view. The, world, uh, the church doesn't have funny edges. Let me read you something from uh, part of the Old Testament to show how significantly God takes the division between the world 
and his people and between the church. It's from the book of Deuteronomy. I'm going to read from chapter 18. And it's a, it's a very instructive bit of the Bible for us because in Deuteronomy, God's people have been tramping around the wilderness for 40 years and they're camped right on the edge, just like I'm on the edge of this stage bit here. And they're about to go in and take possession of the promised land. They're about to go in there and face a completely new reality that they didn't know. What are they going to face? What are the temptations before them? What's the world like in that new place for them? And the whole of Deuteronomy is them sitting on the edge. It's all sermons, instruction about the life that's ahead. And what God says is, you're going to face religion there. You're going to face a world that doesn't follow the true God. And the Lord's warning is, keep away. Keep away. Do not be like them. Let me read to you from Deuteronomy 18.9. When you come into that land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations and the practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a wizard or a necromancer. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. Can you see it's a very strong contrast. Keep away from these practices. They do all sorts of awful things there. They kill children in the name of honouring the gods. They, they put them in the fire. And they practice all these other things too, being magic and charms and mediums. Now, the important thing is not the practices... But all these practices came from a wrong view of God. The nations that the people of Israel were going to meet, they had different gods, wrong gods, false gods. And that led them into stupid ways of living. God says, do not be like them. If we, as a church, give up Christ, we're as evil as all those nations. You might think, oh, I'd never do anything as evil as sacrificing a son or daughter in the fire. I'd never go and call up the dead to get advice about the future. That's what necromancy... I'd never do anything like that. Any church that gives up on Christ is equally evil, is worse, because we've given up the Son of God himself. Keep away from the world, because if, if you don't, you'll just give up the truth. If you mix church and world, it's like putting your, your finest white clothing in the washing machine and then throwing in a few pairs of cheap red socks. You know, who wins? The red socks win, don't they? That's what will happen to the church if we, if we don't keep away from the world. We'll just be stained and corrupted and not pure anymore. There are great compromise areas that we've got to be aware of as Christian people nowadays. The, the two great compromise areas, I think, are matters of truth and matters of living. I reckon around the world, the church is attacked in the matter of truth People are trying to say that Jesus isn't the only way and trying to undermine our understanding and commitment to Christ as the only saviour. There is one mediator, one saviour, as, as 1 Timothy 2 said. That's the area where we're under attack worldwide, so I suspect it's possibly an area where you're going to be under attack as well. But it may not be that the teaching of the truth is where you're under attack. It could be your life, the way you, you serve and honour God, the way you view money, Greed's a bigger area of attack in Australia where we're tempted to, to compromise, to throw those red socks in the wash and who cares about the stains that come with it. Or it might be our view of relationships or of sexuality. Those are the areas where churches are characteristically under attack. The truth of Jesus and the truth of living for Jesus. So keep away. That's our first principle. But it's matched by the second principle. The second principle is get near the world, will you? Get as close as you can. Be in there. Get in the midst of it. Be involved. Let me read you something from Matthew 5. Jesus said to his disciples, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
Jesus is saying, be in there. One model of church we shouldn't have is a big upside-down basket with us inside it hiding. You know, you don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. If you're out camping and if there's no light at all, you don't light the promise up and then put your sleeping bag cover over the top. It'll be daft. Jesus says, if you're, if you're the light of the world, go and shine. Get out in the world to the dark spots. Lift yourself up. So you shine into all the dark crevices and corners. Get into the world. Get near the world. You might not feel like you're you're strong and big and powerful in the world's terms, but Jesus says, you're out there. You can mix it. You know what? You light a match in a dark forest and everyone can see it for miles around. Think even of the AFL Grand Final yesterday. How many people played that game? 50 people? I don't know how many people they have with reserves, but say 50 guys played and it involved all of Victoria and South Australia and even some of us from across the border were watching in New South Wales. Just 50 blokes running around kicking a funny little ball. Yeah, it's pretty weird when you think about it. (laughs) A little group can have a huge effect. The Church of Christ is the light for the world. Go and mix with the world. Get in there and, and share the truth of Christ and show what it is to follow faithfully the instructions of God our Father. So they're the two principles. If we're going to honour Jesus as the centre of his church, we've got to keep away from the world and we've got to get near the world. Now these two ideas, they sound like they're in opposition, but they don't really contradict. Why do we keep away? So the world doesn't affect the church. Why do we get near? So the church can affect the world. Both of those things must be happening. So here's the question, which I don't have an answer for. You've got to answer this by your thinking and by your action. Here's your question. How does Wodonga Baps connect with the world? How does this church connect with the world around about? In Wodonga and in Albury and in the region and with the world beyond? I can't answer it. You're answering it. There's there's countless people over the, the years of this church have answered it with effective engagement with the world and I thank God for that. But what are you going to do tomorrow and next week and next year and beyond? What are you going to do at your workplace or the school groups that you're part of or the, uh, wherever it is you might study? What about the community groups you've joined, whether it's a musical group or a sporting team? Are you going to engage with the local events? Are you going to write to the local media or get, in, get on the local TV? How are you as a church engaging with the world? Not being compromised by it, so keeping away, but getting near so the light can shine. I can't answer that, but the great thing is that everything you do from tomorrow onwards will be answering that. So be there as people of Christ. It won't happen by accident. I'd encourage you to be purposeful about it in some ways. Plan how you're going to engage with this world and pray that God will be with you, but get out there and keep doing it as you've already been doing for so many years. Well, there are two principles, two principles about keeping Christ at the centre Now I've got three tips on action, and this is where we get back into 1 Timothy 2. So if you've got your finger in that part of the Bible, you can can take it out now and the blood circulation can resume. Um, What are we going to do? Well, I'll read again from the beginning of 1 Timothy 2. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may uh, lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. The first thing that Paul says to do, the first thing he says to do if we're going to engage with the world is pray. And he says first here, not that there's a list. You won't find second, third, fourth, fifth. It's it's like first in priority, first in importance. The first thing I want you to remember. If you've got um, to-do lists with this is really important and this isn't important, well, put this one at the top. Pray. Pray for all people. You see, he's not just praying... Uh, in a a narrow sphere for a couple of people, for a couple of suburbs, for a couple of towns, a couple of countries. No, he's praying for all people. Ask God things about every single human being. Implore that God will do something. Plead for the needs of the world. And he says with thanksgiving, so thank God that he hears us and thank God for the answers that you see along the way. Now, it says first, And I reckon it needs to say first there because, you know, we reckon prayer is useless. Have you ever ever really confronted the fact that we tend to think prayer doesn't do anything? 
Let me tell you about some of the sort of conversations I've heard many, many times in the past. I've been in groups where this sort of conversation's happened, and you might have been there as well. You're chatting with a bunch of Christian people, and someone says, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Their family's going through a real tough time now. You know, Dad's crook, and he got, uh, he's out of work, and it's really hard for them. And the person asks, what can we do? And you know, someone helpful in the Christian group will always say, let's pray for them. They always say that, because there's... Christians are helpful people. Now, this is the thing that really gets me. The person who's leading the discussion says, thanks very much for that, that sort of condescending voice. You've said something nice. Now, what can we do that's practical? What can we do that's practical? Oh, yes, we will pray for them. What can we do that's practical? As though prayer isn't practical. Gee, that gets my goat. I, don't know. <laughs> I used to notice it when I was in youth group. I became a Christian probably when I was 15 or 16, and people used to say things like that. And I just assumed it was normal. But what does 1 Timothy 2 say? Prayer is practical. Prayer does stuff. God hears and answers prayer. Prayer is practical for you and for your next door neighbour and for the people in the next street and the next town. Prayer is practical for the whole world. The first thing about the relationship between church and world is we should be prayerful for the world. We should pray for peace in the world. That's what uh, Paul says to pray for. Pray that things aren't in turmoil, that confusion does not reign, but that there is some order in society, that people can get on with living. Um, pray, Pray that rebellion is put down, that lawlessness doesn't increase. Pray that disasters don't happen. We don't want order to be lost in the world. That's what we're praying for here. Pray for a stable society. That's why he goes on to talk about praying for leaders. If you pray for the king of a country, if you've got a good king who's leading well, then there'll be good laws in place. There'll be good transport and communication. There'll be, there'll be an equitable distribution of food and wealth, that sort of thing. So if you pray just for a king, you're praying for everybody that king rules. Have you prayed for the prime minister recently? Do you, do you pray for the prime minister or for the, the premier of, uh, for the, of this state, for the mayor? For leaders in other areas, like the police or the army or whatever it happens to be. That's one of the things God commands us to do. Have you prayed for Burma when you've seen Burma in the news? And the terrible turmoil there in Rangoon this week? I've got to admit, I haven't done much praying for Burma. First of all, what's our, what should be our, our reaction? You know, you hit someone on the knee, you get them to kick. Well, if you talked with a Christian about trouble in the world, our first reaction should be to pray. Because prayer is practical. That's the first tip on action, on practical action from 1 Timothy 2. A second is really flowing from that. There's a reason to pray for peace. And it's a bit of an unusual reason. If you've got your Bible open, have a look in verse 2. What is the reason that we want peace in the world? The reason is so you and I can live Christian lives. That's a bit strange, isn't it? A society at peace allows Christians to be godly. In verse 2, pray this for kings and all who are in high positions, that we, that we as Christians, members of the church of Christ, that we may live a peaceful and quiet life. What's the, the second blessing to the world? Firstly, that we pray for the world. The second blessing is that we live a godly life in that world that we live as light and salt in the world around about us. You know, if we had no food, if, if families like, uh, well, we, we met Sarah tonight being dedicated, and thankfully Phil didn't drop her on the ground, so we're all pretty happy there. But if, if you're in a family and you don't have food, it doesn't matter how Christian you are, it's very hard to instruct your children in the, in the fear and knowledge of the Lord. You've got to scrounge every day for every scrap of food that you can get. But a society at peace... Well, it's much easier to get food and drink and to to sit down and talk with your son or daughter about Jesus, who is Lord. Or if if there's a a society where there's houses looted all the time, um, where rioting is happening on the streets, you're not going to go out of your house to visit a sick friend, are you? It's going to be much too dangerous, much too scary. But a society that's at peace, that's stable, the, the rule of law stands, enables you to be Christian to be more thoroughly Christian, to practice your godliness. 1 Timothy is full of examples of godliness. You might want to read it tonight. It might take you 10 minutes if you read it before bed 
and the last thing you're thinking about before you get into dream mode, areas of godliness. Here's some areas of godliness that 1 Timothy talks about. Being faithful in marriage. Husbands and wives keeping their word and, and sticking to what they said about one another. Um, an, an area of godliness from 1 Timothy also is children who honour their parents and who say, yes, mum, yes, dad, I'm, I'm listening. Or another area of godliness, and you'll like this area of godliness, enjoying food and drink with thanksgiving to God. Not being miserable at a meal, but saying, this good food is from our good father. That's, I'm commanding you to enjoy your food and drink, okay? Because it's an area of godliness. Um, Caring for needy relatives, uh, churches caring for the lonely, older people, older men and women teaching younger men and women, avoiding greed. There's so many areas of godliness just in this short letter of the Bible in, in 1 Timothy. If there's a stable place in Wodonga, and I'm sure there is, then you have a place to practice that godliness. Godliness will serve the world around you. What should church and world be like? Prayer first. And second, your godliness as you follow Christ Jesus the Lord. And the final way to help everyone also relates to 1 Timothy 2. Notice in this chapter, what's God called, especially in verse 3? When I first noticed this a few years ago, I was a bit surprised. This is good, this prayer, this godliness, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour. It's always worth paying attention to the titles used for God in different parts of the Bible. Uh, Paul could have written here, this is good and pleasing in, in the sight of God our Creator. That makes sense. God our Father. Um, God the Father of the Lord Jesus. He could, he could have picked anything, but he specifically picked God our Saviour. And what does this God who is a Saviour like? He desires that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Underneath the concern to pray, and underneath the concern to be godly, Paul is saying God wants the world to be saved. God is a saviour when he turns his face to the world. God is a rescuer. God's concern for the world is that the world is lost without him and that only God can save it. So here's the third thing. Pray for peace, be godly, and thirdly, speak up about God the saviour. Because for the world to see God as saviour, they have to hear a message. You've got to say something about God's truth. We talk about the gospel as Christians. We talk about sharing the gospel. Um, the word gospel is like a preaching term. And so if you don't speak, you're not sharing the gospel. As soon as you say gospel, you're also saying Christians speaking. You might be talking about a preacher to thousands of people or you might be talking about a quiet conversation one-to-one -one over the fence. But if you're talking about the gospel you are instantly saying someone's opened their mouth to speak about Jesus. So if you care for this world and you pray for it, then you should speak to it about Jesus. If you care for this world and you practice godliness in the midst of a dark world, then you should also open your mouth to speak about Jesus. We've got to talk about the details that God is judging evil, but that he wants to save. We should open our mouths and say that the cross brings forgiveness to all who trust it. We've, we've got to talk, talk, talk about God all the time. I'm going to repeat to you something that's a, a Christian lie out there. Uh, it's something that I've heard many times and uh, I, I get more and more irritated all the time. You may have heard this as well. It's, it's a famous quotation. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. That's sort of cute. And we go, oh, yeah. It's a lie. Preach the gospel at all times means use words. You can't preach it without words. You can certainly live a godly life without words. You could even pray quietly to yourself without words. But if it comes to speaking about the gospel, words are necessary. Absolutely necessary. How can you preach without, without saying anything? What, what if one Sunday night someone got up here and just sort of looked at you? They might have done it in a very godly way. But what if you'd invited a non-Christian friend that night? So, wow, I really saw that guy. He had hair, you know. <laughs> Did you learn the gospel? We've got to use words. We've got to use words. So what do you need to do to speak up? The answers to that question will vary for each and every individual here. What do you need to do to speak up? For some of you who are Christians, you'll need to get a bit more knowledge. You might just be 
not confident that you know what God's on about. That's all right. That's fine. You might know that you're a bit rusty on what the Bible says and on what it meant that Jesus died. Okay, cool. If you understand that that's where you're not quite there at the moment, then find out those things. If you've got to get a bit more knowledge about why Jesus died and and what his resurrection means, fantastic. Do that and then you'll be better equipped to speak. But for others of you here tonight, that won't be your problem. You've, You've probably got the words under control. You might have understood it really well. You may have even had plenty of practice of that already. Okay, cool. What is it that might be stopping you from speaking at the moment? For some of you, it might be that you've got some spiritual problem, some some act of rebellion, some wrongdoing that you're caught up in. Maybe only you know about it. You and God, of course. Um, And that you're being caught in wrongdoing might be what's stopping you speak. You think to yourself, oh, I'd be such a hypocrite if I told me, mum and dad, that Jesus is Lord. I just can't bring myself to do it because you know what I did yesterday. And It may be a spiritual problem that's stopping you speaking. Well, face up to that sin if it is a problem for you. Perhaps get a good Christian brother or sister to help you out. Look at the forgiveness that comes at the cross. Deal with that because it will help you speak up. But that may not be your problem. You may be in a different boat again. and It could be that you're simply not confident to speak up. You've got a, perhaps a workplace where at morning tea time everybody's got strong and confident opinions and they just shout one another down and you think, oh, I just can't do that. They're just so, they're at me. They, you know, they'd rip my throat out. Um, well, I'd say get confident. You might have the knowledge and you may be living a godly life, fantastic. But remember, God, God's actually bigger than the people in your tea room and the people in your work and the people in your family. And people may well disagree with you at times, but I don't think God's impressed by timid Christians. The kingdom of God, well, he's the king. The king rules. I'm not going to go out there and say, oh, the king rules. No, well, just get a bit confident if that's your problem. Remember, your confidence isn't in yourself, isn't in your abilities, isn't in how good your words come out. Your confidence has to be in the greatness of the king, which will never change. So if that's your problem, then consider it. Face up to it and see what you can do. But for some of you, and this may sound a bit rude, the problem is you may not be speaking because you don't have any friends. Now, I'm not trying to be rude to you there. Um, You don't have any real serious relationships with those who aren't Christians. It's an easy thing to do, you know. Someone becomes a Christian, gets excited by God and by Jesus and by digging into his word and they love their small group in, a, in someone's home every week and they get involved on a, in Sunday church and they get involved in a ministry, perhaps it's a youth group or they teach, you teach scripture and the, the Christian relationships seem to be so much more fulfilling and have, have so much more meat to them than relationships before you were a Christian. You know, the, all the exciting things about following God. But after five years you realise all your non-Christian mates have disappeared. They've moved town and haven't been replaced. You don't know anyone who who doesn't, hasn't memorised the book of Obadiah backwards. You could be in that sort of situation just by accident or by neglect. Do you have any real relationships with an unbeliever? Where they know your opinion, where you know their opinion, where you share the struggles of life and the joys of life. Perhaps you need to free a few hours in your week. Give up some ministry maybe, so you can have someone to talk to in the world around about you. Join that tap dancing club that you've wanted to join for years. And do it with a Christian mindset, to talk to people there. Join the sporting club that, uh, with the sport you enjoy or, or pick up that musical instrument so you can, you can join a band with a whole bunch of people. I think it's a Christian responsibility to have loving relationships with those who aren't Christian. Because there's too many of us, and I know I've done it, where we might have the words, we might be relatively godly, maybe even confident to speak. But when we open our mouths, there just happens to be no one around about us. So what is it that you need to do to speak up? Maybe it's something completely different again. None of us can do it for you. None of us can do it for you. But as you go forward in obedience, God will help you and be with you. Well, let's, let's conclude about church and the world. Gets back to this idea of the paper mache, the model. What sort of model would you make? In fact, I was thinking as I drove over here, you might want to put this into practice tonight. I don't know if you... Forget the paper mache, go to KFC and buy two litres of that 
that mashed potato or something. <laughs> Do it in the middle of KFC and people ask you what you're doing and you'll be engaging with the world right there and then. <laughs> now here's, here's a new idea I came up with. Perhaps a model of church in the world is the church is a chisel. A chisel and hammer. And the world is a block of marble. And God's gradually chipping and chipping and chipping away with the church to create a thing of beauty. To reveal his plans. To change the world. Sometimes to change the world abruptly, you'll give it a great big whack to get rid of a whole lot of rubbish. Sometimes very, very, very gently. For this to work, the, the chisel and the block, for this to work, there must be some contact between chisel and stone, mustn't there? And the contact will sometimes be gentle and it will sometimes be powerful. But that contact point is you and me. That contact point is all of us with Christ with us by, this, by his spirit. So we definitely need his help. Let's pray that it will come. Dear Lord God, our Father, we thank you that you made this world. We thank you that uh, this world is not more powerful than you, but uh, you are ruler over it all. And we thank you, Father, for calling us to be part of the church through Jesus Christ, the one mediator between man and God. Help us to stick faithful to Christ, not to be compromised by the world, but help us certainly to mix with the world, to get near. Help us to pray. Help us to live godly lives and help us to speak up because we want to be your tools uh, as we face the world, as we engage with the world. We want to be your tools that we may glorify Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray these things. Amen. want to encourage us to uh, keep this mode of uh, responding. Now, uh, I don't know, uh, just to kind of think about what has God just been um, pressing on you tonight. So as you've been hearing, Chris, uh, is there things that are still going around in your mind or going around in your heart? And I just really want us to continue to to reflect on that. Um, The worst thing we can do is just forget it now and go, that was a great message. We need to keep kind of processing it. So um, we have our response card time now, and if uh, we'd encourage all of us to fill this out, um, especially if you're new visiting, uh, if you have prayer requests. But I know some of us don't fill this out, and that's you know that's kind of our own choice. Just reflect personally with yourself. Now you might just want to bow your head and just pray through this time. You know whatever God is uh, impressing on you, what part is is He saying to you? You need to do this. You need to you need to seek Me here. And let's just have a a time of silence, a time of responding through the cards, or just even you just personally praying to God now, just giving it over to Him. So let's just have a time now.